Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 105.0 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren, Mr. Joe Goldberg. So it's back in the chair, back from holiday. I'm back in, I'm out of practice. I was looking at this going, how, how do I do this? How can I, I've lost my edge, but now I'm going to use you to bring me back, to sharpen me up again, Al. Sharpen me. <laughs> you had an edge? <laughs> I had no edge. I'm as dull. You know, I'm dull. Dull. dull I'll just boy. leave it at that. Yeah. He's so dull that it'll cut you. <laughs> well, anyway, so speaking of an edge, we've got a great writer. He's got a lot of good books out, and he's got a new one, Sleepless City, a Nick Ryan novel, and it's the Nick Ryan series, book one. So, Mr. Reed Farrell Coleman, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. Reed, wow. You really take this writing seriously. What 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 got you into writing? Like what was it that made you go this direction after your career? Uh let's see. It's the only thing I do well. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, and and there's some debate as to that. Um no, I I started writing poetry when I was twelve years old. I was published by the time I was fifteen. In fact, I, I think I'm the only person I've ever met or know who quit the football team to become the editor of the literary magazine in school. So uh, I, I guess I was headed down this road whether I wanted to be here or not. Probably a good bet. What did you do for a career, actually, before you got into writing like these types of books? Uh, well, lots of things. But right. uh my major focus was I worked at the cargo area at Kennedy Airport for five years. Uh, and I first started that job at the World Trade Center. 
and then got transferred because nobody could take me in the office. They transferred me to the cargo area at Kennedy Airport. And I did um, export for a large freight forwarding, a French freight forwarding company. Um, so, and, and what's a freight forwarder is a travel agent for inanimate objects. Um, and, you know, if you've ever seen Goodfellas, those are the people I work with. That must have, you, you must have learned a lot going through that experience. You must have seen a lot of things that you didn't plan on seeing. There must have been a lot of surprises. Oh, you could say that. Um, and, and, you know, it was a very interesting education, the kind of which you don't get in college. Um, I, you know, our warehouse manager used to carry a ivory handled 45. Uh, on Fridays, when things would get really frustrating, he would take the uh, warehouse shotgun and fire it into the corrugated steel bay doors and make us all die for cover. Um, then those were the good days. <laughs> wow, hate to see the bad day. You know, oh yeah, it's, this is all. This is all really. It's it's fascinating. But again, I, I always sort of was there a certain thing, even though you've written poetry as a young young youngster and you did well with it. Is there a certain thing that made you actually want to write these action thriller books for a living? Um, yeah. I, I Oddly enough, uh, when I was working at the airport, I used to have to go from JFK, which is in Queens, to meetings in Manhattan once a week. And there were several hours to kill in between. And so I went back to Brooklyn College and took a night class. And the only night class that appealed to me at all was a class called American Detective Fiction. Now, here's the weird thing. I was never a mystery reader. Like, to me, mystery novels were those cheesy books on my dad's nightstand with the lurid covers of half-naked women holding guns. So that stuff didn't appeal to me. I was more of a sci-fi reader, a literary reader. Uh, so, But I took this class, and the first three novels we read were The Continental Op and The Maltese Falcon by Hammett. And Farewell, My Lovely by Chandler. And this is true. And if my wife was here, she'd testify to it. I came home that night after we finished discussing uh, Farewell, My Lovely. And I said, I want to quit my job because this is what I was meant to do. I was meant to write detective novels. So did you use those experiences that you had on the docks to, when you made that decision to build your characters? No, actually... I've never written a book about the airport, um, strangely enough. Uh, it was more, my, my thing is not so much trying to retell stories or things that happened to me. You know, I cops always say I get them right when I write them in books, but I very seldom repeat cop stories. Cops will tell you endless stories. It's getting people's attitudes that make my characters real. And so I take... Uh, people's attitudes. That's the part I use, is how people see the world. So when you when you put together a book like this, this now it's the Nick Ryan series, and this is the first book. Have you got, got this all sort of planned out? Have you got like three or four or five books in your mind kind of mapped out of where you want Nick Ryan to begin and how you want it to end, and then you're filling it in as you go, or is this just one at a time and you go come and go as it comes and goes? It's not even one at a time. I, I'm a, I'm renowned as a total seat of my pants writer. Uh, I never outline, I never plan in advance. Uh, for me, 
what makes writing fun. And, you know, you know, you've interviewed writers all over the places. It, it's a hard job. I mean, it's not hard like when I drove an oil truck and, you know, sub-zero weather. That's not, that's hard. But it's difficult to, to write a 300-page book. Um, and what makes it fun for me is not knowing, not planning. So uh, my theory has always been, if I'm not sure what's coming next, the reader will be excited by it the same way I'm excited by it. So the shorter answer is, I never plan ahead, no. Well, let's take that. You never plan ahead as you're writing the book, but your characters are so strong. Your character-driven books, do you know them before you start your book? I, I learn them as I write them. Really? I have an idea. Of, I, yeah, I have an idea of who they are, um, all of my protagonists, and that is what I'm known for as the strength of my protagonists, um, is I learn about them as I put them in situations. Um, I have a writer friend, Peter Spiegelman, an award-winning writer who is has always said um, setting is the soil in which you grow your uh, plot, your characters, and whatever. So I have a germ of an idea for who my character is. With Nick, I honestly, I had a better idea than I usually do. Um, and you put him in a setting, and the setting is uh, New York, and, and you know, let him go. And I let my mind go where places wherever it wants to go. Um, and it's fun for me that way. Do they surprise you as you're writing them? They absolutely do. I, I am one of those writers who believes that characters, uh, sometimes characters you try to get rid of won't let you. Or characters you want to take in certain directions, they go, uh-uh, you're not taking me there. Or you should take me here. Uh, I listen to my characters. So you, how do you experience them? Is this is it like an audio in your head? Or do you see like pictures? How, what's your experience like when you're doing a book with Nick Ryan, for instance? Yeah, I hear their voices, actually. Voice is like where is one of the things that is a foundational element of, of a character for me. Uh, so I imagine their voices. And sometimes I will actually do their voices, um, <laughs> which why my wife has threatened to have me uh, locked away at times, uh, hearing voices coming out of the office that aren't aren't necessarily mine. Um, so, yeah, it's auditory. I, I hear them before I see them. Well, they, they don't let you drive, do they? When you're, you're hearing <laughs> these voices. <laughs> no, no. Um, you know, unless I take my Thorazine. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it's, it's, it is, it's a very interesting experience. You guys talk to writers all the time. So, and we all do it a little bit differently from each other. But uh, for some people, it's visual. I know a lot of writers who have to basically create a bio for their characters before they start writing, down to cutting out pictures uh, in magazines of what they think their characters look like. Well, let me ask you the second thing of characters in your book, because I feel when I read your stuff is that setting is a major character for you, or the surroundings, New York City and the, and the area is a, is a character for you. Am I misreading it? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, you know, I'll go back to Peter's quote about setting is the soil in which you grow your book. Uh, it absolutely is. Now, I've written a lot of protagonists who's, who, are, who live in and around New York City. 
but they're always very different New York cities from each other. Like the, the, the New York city that Nick lives in, uh, is a very varied city. Uh, uh, I, that was a world I enjoyed building because Nick is, although he's an undercover New York city detective from Brooklyn, he has dated for a long time a woman who lives on the Upper East Side of New York, a wealthy, powerful woman who's lived on the Upper East Side of New York. So as uh, the story advances, somebody says to Nick when he's offered this special job, we are going to need somebody who also knows the difference between a salad fork and a dinner fork. So on the one hand, Nick might one day be working in the grit between the city's fingernails and on the next day be in a Sutton place apartment with a view of the 59th street bridge that's how you build your character as you're writing them yeah. as they move around these different locations uh -huh. yeah and also uh, secondary characters yes. have a lot to do with building your your protagonist for me that was my next question you hit me uh, I, uh the secondary characters play a role in bringing i think bringing out the elements of, of obviously your main character almost almost see Kirk, Spock, McCoy thing. They kind of bring out these different elements of your main character. Yeah. I, I, the secondary characters have always been crucial to me, and, and I never call them minor characters. Nobody in my books runs on stage and screams, Hark, I hear the cannons roar, and then walks off stage. Uh, to me, secondary characters have full lives, even if they're on the page for one paragraph. I am when I imagine them, I imagine them having full lives. And the way I, I, I used to exemplify this to my writing students was I would ask them if on the way to class, if they had driven by anybody walking their dog. And most people, you know, when they're driving, and if you drive for any length of time, you'll drive by somebody walking their dog. So I said, you know, that person walking their dog and their dog are minor characters in your life. But guess what? You are a minor character in their life. So I always imagine both sides of things. So no one is ever a minor character, though there are uh, sometimes secondary characters. Right. There's a, there was a woman every morning um, with, with a guy walking her dog by me going the op opposite direction every morning. And then, then I would pass her going back and she would be alone. And then I realized that what she was doing is this guy was walking down to her place. She was having an affair with him, and then she'd go out with the dog and walk. He had to park up the hill. So, yeah, they have very important things. They have a whole other life going on. Right. Their lives are their lives, but we see them as, you know, you know, flashes. But we're flashes to them. I wonder what she thought about yeah, you. about whether I was going to tell one of her neighbors what was going on you know what i mean so they it's there's there's yeah. so, i love getting ideas like that i love um being around people like that and picking up things and it just it, you can go with your imagination as far as you want with something like that but um i find that really really kind of the fun thing about it um it, it, so when you do this and you're putting it together i guess you find the story can change quite a bit as the characters grow yeah, it's a, you know, it's funny is I, I I despise, you know, people who say, well, it works organically, but I, I have no other word to describe it, but it's organic. You know, I pick the setting, I have a germ of an idea of the character, what that character does is based on that germ of the character and where he is. 
and who his friends are and who his enemies are. And then that suggests plot to me. Um, I did not this. If you've read the book, it's got a fairly interesting and intricate plot. And that just came as I wrote it. I did not plan any of that out. Wow. So if you if you don't plan it out, do you actually have an element or some sort of theme that you want a reader to take out of or find in the book besides the action? Yes, buy this book. <laughs> Be entertained. <laughs> Give me your money. <laughs> I, 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 I've always said, and I, whenever I teach classes, I tell this to writers who, you know, have this lofty idea of what writing is. It's a writer's first job is to entertain the reader. So that is always um, in the front of my mind is it has to interest me, but it also has to be sellable. People have to want to keep turning the pages. Otherwise, what are you doing? So entertainment is job one for a writer and particularly a genre writer. Otherwise, what are they doing? Hard boiled. Um, what is hard boiled for you? Like how, how, how hard boiled do you get? Oh, I, you know, I leave the egg in for 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> right. No, I, 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 I can be very hard boiled. Um, and very gritty. Um, and I can, it depends on the book. It depends on the character. Uh, I mean, obviously the sleepless city is pretty, pretty hard boiled, um, and pretty noir. And please don't ask me to define those two cat to those two phrases because we, we could do an hour just on that. So description, it's important to kind of show as well. Um, so where do you get your influences from then? Where, where's the inspiration come from? Uh, LSD. Perfect. Well done. <laughs> yeah. I, I think Joe's um, that way too. Yeah. Uh, drive. no, the, I, I, it, it's an easier question to answer where I don't get inspiration or ideas from. Um, you know, whenever I'm asked at a book signing where I get my ideas from, I kind of paraphrase Stephen King and say from a post office box in Schenectady, um, that there's very little in the world or in a newspaper or watching TV that doesn't somehow stimulate an idea to me. Sometimes it's a phrase that I hear or a phrase I think of, and that just gets me going. You ever, as you're writing your noir, your, your hard-boiledness, say, ooh, I better not write that because the reader or the society is going to not like that? Do you cancel yourself, I guess is the lousy way to put it? Well... We all edit ourselves and we all have to pay attention or not to uh, the the context in the world we live in. In, in um, earlier books, I had used the N-word appropriately in context. You know, if a, a white supremacist is not going to scream, hey, you N-word, right? But now context with that word seems not to matter. So, yes, I, the short answer is I, I don't like that. I don't believe in censorship. Um, but the fact is you have to pay attention to the world you're in and the context in which you're writing. So, sadly, you're, the answer to that question is yes. When you, when you take on a series like this, now you've taken this, this series on, how, so you're doing it by the seat of your pants. Where do you think you're going to end up? How, how far do you go? Like What, what determines if a book two or three or how far it goes other than sales. 
Yeah, well, let's go back, Al. Rewind. <laughs> no, but I mean, books. But, but is that you? Know, you're, you say that, and of course, it's important to sell books. You got to have readers, and it keeps everybody in business. That's all true. But you yourself, in your mind, let's say it sells well, and it's fine. It's you know, like is there is there a limit? Is what I'm saying. Like, do you do you ever cap something? I have capped books. And the, my Mo Prager series, I wrote nine books in the Mo Prager series. And because I had nothing else to say, and I had aged Mo through the series. When he started, he was in his mid-30s. By the end of the series, he was 65. And, and I never wanted to turn him into the Altacaca detective, you know, uh, down in Boca Raton, uh, chasing people's scooters and hearing aids. Um, you know, by the end of the series, I said, you know, the only thing Mo could flash with any confidence was his <laughs> art card. So, um, so yeah, so I naturally, the, he, Mo kind of aged out of that series, kind of aged itself out. Nick, I've set up the world for Nick that could go on, you know, 10 books, but it all does truly depend on sales. Um, so you have to be entered, you know, I could have all the lofty dreams of 10 or a 20 book series. If it doesn't sell, it doesn't matter. So let's sell those books. So let's, uh, ask a question then about the craft of, to be able to sell those books. Go, go re, re, rewinding back to craft is I'm going to ask the question. I'm sure you've been asked a thousand times, but I got to do it is the poetry to uh, crime writing difference from the idea of how you use words? You know, that's a, actually, it's a good question. Uh, it's not one of those questions you're asked a million times and you don't like answering. Uh, it's a good question because it's not easy to answer. Uh, I'll, I'll put it this way. I have been described as the hard, as a hard-boiled poet or the noir poet laureate. Those are great titles to have. They are, and I wear them proudly, but they're double-edged sword. Um, as you know, I, I'm friendly with Lee Child, and he once said to me, I love your writing, but read if you cut three words out of every sentence, you'd be a huge seller. Right. <laughs> so in some ways, we write how we write. But what I try not to do is to never condescend to my audience. So while I don't write at a third grade level, I also try not to be, look how smart I am or look how clever I am. Um, and as I've written more and more books, I've also discovered that different readers read for different reasons. So that some readers just want to go along for the ride. They don't want to guess what happens. They don't, they just want to be entertained. So I have to write on different levels. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com covered.
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So there are those readers. And then there are readers who try to guess what's, you know, what's coming. Like me, I love that. I I love to guess what's coming. Um, and there are people who won't, who read it for the the deeper meaning, the 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 latent content in it. So it's an interesting challenge because I'm trying to write for three or four different types of readers. And I I guess I'm doing it okay because Sleepless City is my 32nd published novel. Well, you say Sleepless City. I wanna I wanna complete this with titles. I mean, your titles are important, and it seems like Sleepless City has more than one meaning behind it. Am I uh, absolutely okay? It, it is on the one hand an allusion to, you know, of course, the city that never sleeps, but it's also an allusion to we've all suffered from occasional bouts of insomnia, right? And that it's different from voluntarily not sleeping and having a great time. And insomnia is very edgy because you know what it feels like when you can't shut your eyes and you can't go to sleep. So it's a kind of double-edged thing. It's a city that is 
Uh, I could have called the book Restless City. So there's the sleeplessness and the restlessness and the tension in the sleeplessness. But that was always the title from day one, Sleepless City. I, in fact, I had the title before I started writing the book. So violence on the page, how do you handle that? Um, these days with a knife perfect uh, <laughs> <laughs> lots of blood blood on that place yeah no I, mean, I try to be realistic without being gory is the short answer i i mean some people enjoy gore uh, i don't particularly enjoy it but on the other hand i don't like soft selling violence because i think that does a real disservice to things um as an example um when i i did some research traveling with my son and he had never fired a, a gun before. So I took him to a gun range uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona, where I happen to be right now. And he fired a, a nine millimeter and a 357 Magnum. And the look on his face and what he said to me was, how does anybody ever survive this? So that reaction my son had is kind of the reaction I want readers to have is God violence is terrible, but it happens. And how does anybody live through it? And I want that readers to ask themselves that question. Well, you mentioned a word there that I had to written down myself just before you started to speak, which is research. If you're writing from, you know, if you're pantsing it, how do you research? What do you research? Uh, I try to limit my research <laughs> severely uh, because most of what I'm mining is my own emotions. Um, you know, you, you can see how other people react, but you can never really know how other people feel. So I always say that uh, if, if you feel my characters are very human, it's because I'm mining the depths of my own emotions uh, and all the possibilities uh, I feel I remember how I felt about X and I extrapolate it and to say, how would Nick feel in that situation? Like, uh, I'm sure if you've looked, you, you know that when I was 15 years old, I watched somebody die of a gunshot wound 10 feet in front of me. Um, and that's always stuck with me. So, uh, I mean, I am, I'm sorry that that gentleman was murdered, but th that experience has helped me be a better writer. Um, I would give it all back to give that guy back his life, but obviously, you know, the universe just doesn't work, doesn't work that way. Do you have problems writing, or are you? Or I shouldn't say it that way, but um, but how is? Do I get writer's block? No, no. <laughs> thirty-two <laughs> books. Yeah, I would. I would imagine, but but isn't there times that you? Okay, let's put it this way: there are times that you just don't feel like writing. <laughs> yes, every day. <laughs> <laughs> so do you find no. it's uh, kind of a force? There are, there are times when you don't feel like doing your job. Well, uh, uh, every day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but is there yeah. a force thing to it is what I'm saying. I mean, when you when you sit down, you've got a book and you're, you're going to start on it or you've started on it, is there times that it just doesn't happen, doesn't flow? Oh, absolutely. I, uh, you know, I have this whole talk I do about writer's block. I always say the lawyers go into the courtroom and say, I have jurisprudence block. The garbage men say, I have garbage can block. <laughs> no, we all have bad days when we either nothing comes out or what comes out is really bad, right? We all have days like that. So, 
I don't have this romantic vision of being a writer that, you know, other people do. It's my job. It's my career. It's how I make money. So on those days when I don't feel like doing it, I force myself to do it. Sometimes you can't tell whether I was in a bad mood or not, or, and sometimes you can. And on those days, I don't include what I wrote on those days when it's, when I don't think it lives up to the standard. Well, they say that, and you said it, I know you have, uh, um, you know, writers write, you said it in this interview, uh, but they always, they always say writers read. What do you read? Do you read inside the genre or do you read outside or nothing? I'm always amazed when, you know, new writers will come up to me and they say, you know, I want to write a book. And I say, well, who do you read? And they go, I don't read. Go, That's pretty interesting. Uh, I can't wait to see that book. Uh, <laughs> It'll be about nothing. No, there are, there are writers. First of all, I, I have to say this because I've, I've been in that category too. There are great writers that no one's ever heard of. And everybody, sure, we love Michael Connolly, you know, a friend of mine. I love Lee Child, love Megan Abbott. There are a whole list of writers I love. But there's twice as many writers who are very good or as good as any of those people are. And I always want readers to give those people a chance. You know, don't the next time you're in a bookstore, don't go to only your favorites. Right. Go to try somebody else. Um, And with the Internet, you can you, you know, look, when you buy it on Amazon, there are recommended books below. Right. Try one of them. Um, and I, I read, you know, widely, mostly crime fiction these days. Um, and I mentioned two people who are favorites of mine, Michael Connolly and Megan Abbott. Um, you know, I look forward to their books. I used to love Philip Kerr. I loved his books, but he passed away a few years ago. Yeah. So, you know, I also, and I, I read a lot of books for blurbs, um, and, you know, discover new writers that way. Um, but I read the paper every day. Um, and that's a good place for crime writers to start yeah. reading papers. <laughs> yeah, there's there's lots of action there. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have a list of, uh, you know, reads recommended people you should read who are not on the you know, front page? Yeah, of the- I mean, I'm going to give you some names you probably don't know. Uh, I mentioned one, Peter Spiegelman, who I think is an unbelievable writer who's never gotten the attention he deserves. Um, S.J. Roseanne uh, is a woman, um, Shira Roseanne, R-O-Z-A-N. She's won the award two or three times. But that doesn't mean anyone really knows who she is. She's a great writer. Yeah, she's been on the Uh, show a couple of times. Yeah, she's great. I love SJ. She was kind of my mentor. Um, uh, Peter Blauner, uh, you know, uh, Charles Salzberg, Mike Wiley, Matt Goldman. There's so many writers who are so good, who, who even sell well, but that people should, should discover. Joe Goldberg. Yeah. Matt, Matt, no, Matt Goldman. (laughs) Yeah. And and you and you too. Yeah. <laughs> and what's his name? And what's his and, name? And, and that and that check is still in the mail. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> Sixty bucks. Yeah, yeah. Hold on to that. Yeah. You might need it. Um, <laughs> when, when you're writing characters, when you go to uh, write an evil character or a bad character, someone that's doing something wrong, 
like you know obviously it comes comes with the territory I, how do you get into that mindset oh that's easier for me oh you like that better <laughs> yeah. yeah no it's more fun they're they're in some ways they're more fun you, um it's i don't you know i don't have problems with that it's 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 because i've always been one of those people who believes and i this is personal belief uh that you don't know what you're capable of unless you're given it's easy to say i would never do that until you're put in a situation where you have to make that choice would you do that um I, I've always been interested to see, you know, people who take the moral, high moral ground. If I didn't, if they didn't sleep or eat for three days, what they would would be capable of. So it's easy for me to imagine even good people doing bad things. Right. So, so you actually dress up and go out in the streets at night and and take on this. Role. Who says dress up? <laughs> well, you didn't want to get recognized. I thought you could no, you could put on true. a gray haired wig, look like Joe, yeah. or I could go out naked and make everybody turn avert their eyes. Oh, <laughs> Al would Al would be right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. I'd be lined up. I Just tell what day and what's corner. Yeah, that's right. You throw in the money. Okay, so how much of you is in uh, the main character? In in Nick, not much. Not much. In Nick, no, not much in Nick. In in my Mo Prager. Mo Prager uh, Mo was essentially, I've always said, he's a better looking, braver, somewhat less intelligent version of me. And, but basically my other characters, of course, there are some aspects of them that have to be part of me because who am I mining for their emotions is me. But, and because I'm writing them, so, you know, unconsciously parts of me are them. But Nick is very far away from who I am. Well, you talked about, um, character and, and the like and i and you say you don't have any themes it's entertainment but i feel like there's always sort of a right versus wrong like the person you don't eat for three days you know you have to decide right versus wrong is that sort of runs a lot through a lot of your characters uh, i i mean i think that is the underlying theme of almost every crime book uh and i don't i i never start out with a theme right i always think books with that are written because of themes are deadly boring because you're writing to make a point right that's what nonfiction is for fiction is not to make a point that doesn't mean the books don't have themes in fact i i find themes are appear in retrospect to me like gee i must have been writing this book about um you know how uh crime reverberates Violent crime in the past reverberates into the future. I didn't sit down and say, "I'm." In, there's a book called, called the James Deans, right? That was my four, fourth Mo book, and it's about X, Y, or Z. And I only realized after I wrote it what the themes of the, that book was. And it took that book for me to realize themes are there, but they don't think about them when I write. Right. So the themes kind of come out organically. Yeah. Oh, there's that word. There's that word again. Yes. Uh, I guess if I was a farmer, I'd be an organic farmer. Be an organic uh, farmer. Yeah. Well, how does each one of these books change you? Uh, every book I write makes me a better writer, for one thing. Um, and watching people's reactions to it changes me. And since I've written X amount of things that have, have now happened to Nick, 
Nick changes, right? Nick can't, as we all do, let, let us say, remember the first really terrible loss you suffered in your life? It doesn't matter who it is. It could be a pet. It could be a parent. It could be whomever. That changes you. So having written the things that happened to Nick in this book changed Nick and hence changed me as his writer. Uh, because, A, I don't want to repeat the things that have happened, but also the things that happen in this book have to change Nick and hence change me as his creator. Nick is transitioning into Jack. Jack, yes. <laughs> and soon his last name will be Reacher, and he'll, you know. It'll be bigger. Uh, and the, It'll be bigger. Yeah. Stronger uh, guy, yeah. Right? <laughs> I, you said you, you become a better writer for each book, and you hear that. How, how many books are in the I started but didn't finish uh, Reed Coleman pile? None. None? Okay. If I start a book, I generally finish it, though I have regretted doing that on three or four occasions. So I have 32 published novels, and I have written in in the pandemic and post-pandemic three and a half more books. So those, I'm pretty sure all of them will be published. But there were, it mixed in amongst the first 32 with three three or four books that didn't get published. You know, when, when big things like that happen, the pandemic, and, and you look at the um, behavior of people, um, you learn a lot uh, because there's a lot of surprises and sometimes there isn't. So when you go over the last couple of years, however you see the pandemic, it, it, there must be surprises of the way people acted and behaved and what people say and don't do and all this stuff. D does that affect on how you decide to write your characters in fiction? Well, uh, I have to say that there were events that happened during the... Now, this book was finished right right before the pandemic started. Uh, and then things happened during the pandemic, which made me rewrite and add to the book. So they are not directly related to the pandemic, but things that happened in the world during the pandemic. Um, actually, and that's the first time that's ever happened to me. I have never changed the book or added to a book because of something that happened in the real world until Sleepless City. And when you read the book, you'll see, you people will know immediately what, what changed. I don't want to give it away, but it will be obvious to any reader what changed. And, and I avoided, like the plague, writing about the <laughs> pandemic. Like a lot of writers came to me, or we discussed, well, you know, would you include the pandemic? And I, I and it, to me, writing about the pandemic, you know people were writing about the pandemic during the pandemic and, you know, went to their agents and said, here's my pandemic book. And, um, you know, people don't want to read about what they just lived through. Um, you know, when 9-11 happened, there still are no really successful 9-11 books because no one wants to relive that. We're not far enough away. It's not... Um, you know, Pearl Harbor, did anybody want to read about Pearl Harbor the week after Pearl Harbor? Um, so I, I avoided doing that, and I advised other writers not to write about the pandemic. Or you avoid the plague like the plague. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you caught that. I mean, nonfiction, people will be interested in nonfiction books about it, 
but as terms of fiction, we all live through it. Why do you want to read about it? Because there's no escape in, in something like that, or there's no, you know, because I, I do nonfiction books. I do those no boring books. I've done 30 of them. <laughs> and I don't get to choose how my characters, uh, their behaviors and how they turn out. It's kind of as is. And I've got a, you know, I write about it. So you right. get to choose how this series goes and what happens to the different characters in a sense at the end of it you can make sure there's a certain amount of justice in 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 time so that must be kind of liberating about writing in fiction well you know it's funny is what my books are known for are moral dilemmas so i'm not one of those people who when you get to the end of the book you feel like uh justice is restored or balance is restored when you get to the ends of my books, you should be, your head should spin. Uh, like, what would I have done in that situation? So actually, uh, I try to make moral questions uh, as entertaining as I can, but justice is not restored. Do, do you know uh, Turner Classic Movies? Right, of course. Of course. Yeah. Right, you know Eddie Muller? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Eddie once said, I, I, we were once going to do a panel together. And it was a noir panel. And I said, Eddie, you know, I'm I'm hard boiled. I'm not really noir. And he said to me, Reed, you're out of your mind. Your books are so noir because the truth makes things worse in your book. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not one of those guys who's who, you know, balances the scale of justice at the end of a book. The things may get solved. The bad person may get caught. But what does that really do? You know, that, you know, I don't believe in closure. So, um, you know, my books are not about restoring balance to the world. No, keeping it real. Um, Reed, are you a social media person? Are you um, sprouting around on TikTok or places or do you have uh, a website? No. Where, where? Threads. <laughs> how do, Facebook. How do people Facebook. find you? Just Facebook? Facebook, and I have a website, readcoleman.com. I, I do I have someone who tweets for me, um, uh, and, you know, I do have an Instagram account. It's just like, I, I you know, I'm an old person, uh, and it's just not for me, and I'd like to rather spend my time writing than, you know, looking of, uh, do you know uh, Bo Burnham? Sure. Have you ever yeah, heard of Bo Burnham? Absolutely. Yeah. He has this great song called White Woman's Instagram. And, you know, it's a, it's a listing of all the wacky things you'll see, like on an Instagram account. It's also a very touching song. And I would highly recommend that if you don't know it, listen to it. Um, but that's just not who I am. I mean, I'm a, I'm a good person to meet. I'm a fun person to be around. But I don't want to waste my time on social media. Oh, I don't blame you. Oh, so what's your website so we can put it up for people? Read, readcoleman.com. Well, it's easy. Well, great. It's easy. Well, like me. Yeah. <laughs> well, the C is easy on the street. We've got it all. Yes. Right. Averting your eyes. Yeah. Good <laughs> man. It must be Reed Coleman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you being here. Now, the book, Sleepless City, it's a Nick Ryan novel, and it's from the Nick Ryan series, book one. So the guest is the writer, Reed Farrell Coleman. So thank you for being here. 
oh, this is great fun, guys. And you told me I could be on for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can stay on, but, you know. No extra pay. No extra pay. Right. Oh, yeah, the, the, that check is still in the mail. Guys, thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.